Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So, for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So, I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps to Detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality. That's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Joining me today is my friend, Kyle. He goes by Just Human on the internet. He is an alt-media journalist, podcaster, a writer. His substack is justhuman.substack.com. And he just does an excellent job of analyzing some of the real key issues that I don't spend nearly as much time on. So I brought him in today because I want to try a little experiment. I know that a lot of people in the audience, particularly people who woke up within the last few years, hear a lot about the Russiagate hoax and the Russian collusion conspiracy. And we all kind of know some broad strokes and some facts about that. But there's not necessarily a larger coherent picture that we all have an intimate understanding of or even a base level understanding of. So I wanted to talk to somebody who knows this material really well and can give us an idea of the broad scope of this story as it's evolved over the last five years. So that's what Kyle and I are going to work on today. And Kyle, welcome. Thank you, Chris. Glad to be here. Appreciate you having me, man. Yes, sir. And it was good to meet you this past weekend at the pit. Finally. 
Yeah, that was great, man. Uh, I wish we could have gotten to talk more. Yes, sir. We will. We will. All right. So let's get into the uh, the Russiagate hoax. Let's uh, let's start back in 2016 from the impetus of this entire thing. Okay. Um, well, first, I want to say that for anybody new to this, there are people that have been studying Russiagate, Spygate, Obamagate. All three of those names describe the same set of hoaxes and scandals and investigations. And those people that have been looking at it for this long, they still can't grasp all of it at once. It is the biggest set of con multiple conspiracies within conspiracies. There are dozens, if not hundreds, of players involved. There's multiple agencies involved. It is a complicated mess. But to boil it all down to a, a, as simple of a narrative as, as it can be, the media, the mainstream media in, industrial complex or uh, false news, fake news complex conspired with the Hillary Clinton campaign and with actors within our government and within with contractors to our government to try and create a scandal to to push on to Donald Trump as he was starting the campaign to run for president. They needed a scandal that they could make stick to him in order to undermine his campaign. It was always about undermining his campaign. It was always about spying on him. And it was always about making the Russian or the, the DNC hack that is blamed on Russians. It was always about making Donald Trump seem complicit in that. And that is that is the origin story of it. That's what they wanted to do. That's what all these different actors and agencies and companies set out to do. And everything that has happened since then, this started in 2016, early 2016, like March. Everything that has happened since then is a continuation of those lies and those hoaxes and those scandals and an attempt to cover up and to somehow continue to damage Trump, undermine him and, and hinder his, pre his first presidency. The impeachment was part of it. The second impeachment, I mean, everything that came afterward st started in early March of 2016 when these different people and agencies got together and conspired to create this false narrative that Trump was an agent of Russia and that Trump could be tied to Vladimir Putin and could be tied to the Russian hack and that he had Russian agents inside his campaign. And it was always false. Let's um, stop for a second and focus on the Russia hack, right? Okay. We are told that the that Hillary Clinton's server was hacked by was this Guccifer 2.0? Yes. And that that was the source of the information, the emails published by WikiLeaks. Yes. Now that is not or very likely not true. Correct. That's that's likely not true. And we we definitely don't know the full story of the DNC hack. Uh, we absolutely do not. Um, and we we learned some of that with uh, the Sussman case. There were some things happening in the Sussman case that uh, that kind of pointed back to that um, because we learned that CrowdStrike never got um, full control of the report. They never got to, uh, they were influenced by Michael Sussman. Michael Sussman handled the DNC hack. And 
it, from the very beginning, these fingerprints of the Hillary campaign and her cronies are on the DNC hack, and it directly leads to what uh, the uh, the AlphaGate scandal, the uh, Steele dossier, everything that happened afterward. Um, there's the, in fact, we found that uh, CrowdStrike said we never got all the information we needed to get in order to do a good assessment of what actually happened at the DNC. So let's leave that story aside momentarily. And for the audience, you're going to hear some claims that will not sound right to you because they're not part of the central narrative. When you hear these claims, rather than simply rejecting them out of hand, go back and check, see if these claims are supportable. And Kyle is available on social media. Hit him up on Truth Social or on Telegram. Ask him your questions. He can guide you toward information that can allow you to understand more of this. So let's continue. We have the Russiagate hack. We have a meeting in March of 2016. Yeah. Um, I said Russiagate hack. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, you might as you might as yeah, well. Right. Uh, it all gets conflated. And I, and I really uh, I may end up saying this again. It's OK to get confused by this because I'm telling you, people who have researched it for years it's impossible to hold all of the pieces of this in your head. And something I tell my audience pretty often whenever I, a new story or development comes up related to Durham or related to Russiagate is I tell them, you know, the only sources we really have for this are the transcripts of House hearings, mm-hmm. are FOIA documents, are filings in a Durham case, and the research of independent reporters. We don't have access to everything involved in this. We're all trying to piece it together. And no doubt I'm wrong about some stuff. No doubt my picture of what ha- what took place when and where and involving whom is incomplete uh-huh. because this has been an ongoing investigation for seven years now, uh-huh. uh, six years now. Um, and ongoing, ongoing investigations, you don't get to see everything until the investigation is complete. So anyway, back to the March. March is when um, Fusion GPS and some DNC operatives like Alexandria Chalupa, um, CIA Director John Brennan, the Hillary Clinton campaign, uh, they got together and conspired to come up with this plan to frame Donald Trump. And it's fair to say that that is accurate, that these people associated with Hillary Clinton and Hillary Clinton herself, she approved the plan mm-hmm. to come up with a way of creating this hoax to damage Donald Trump during the campaign. They cooked it up in March. They got in a, they got a FISA spy warrant on Carter Page. They got FISA warrants to spy on the communications of other people in Donald Trump's campaign. And, and eventually they were able to spy on his campaign itself, to spy on Trump Tower. Um, a lot of people have heard the story of uh, Admiral Rogers visiting Trump and letting Trump know that he was being he is being spied on. That's where that this is. That's how Rogers found out about it. Is he found out that there was this abuse of 702s is what they're called. And there was this abuse of FISA's and he let Donald Trump know hey, you're being spied on in Trump Tower. And the FISA's allow the tracking of the person, the the subject of the FISA warrant. And also, is it it's three jumps, right? So yeah. the people who are in contact with that person, 
all the people in contact with those people and then another layer of the same phenomenon. And so if you're talking about a presidential campaign, you don't need to take that many jumps before you have the entirety of the campaign, because the people involved in the campaign and the people around the campaign are at least in communication with some of the other members. So that circle of people you're allowed to track and spy on begins expanding rapidly. Yes. And they started this spying. And one of the things that made Carter Page attractive as a target was that Carter Page was active in Russia. And he had contacts in Russia. If I recall correctly, he was in like the oil and gas type industry. He'd recently had meetings in Russia. You know, he he checked some boxes enough to where they could massage their allegations and they could make it they could try and justify him having a FISA warrant on him. And since Carter Page then got involved in the Trump campaign, along with uh, Alex Papadopoulos, George or George Papadopoulos, George Papadopoulos, who was also doing business in Russia and had contacts in Russia. It that's that was their excuse to get that that spying. Um, and then the Rus- then it was revealed that the DNC had been hacked in uh, April of 2016. That there was some sort of hack. Now, it's a discussion whether or not it actually was a hack. That's a separate right. discussion. The narr- the mainstream narrative is that it was and that it was the Russians that did it. Um, in my personal opinion, I think it was Russians who were involved, but I think it was a mercenary group of Russian hackers. That's a totally separate side story. Mm. But I think the reason why the analysis uh, showed indicators of it being Russians is because it was a mercenary Russian hacking group. And I have some good reasons for that. Um, but the um, they tried to tie that hack to Trump. Remember, Trump talked about Hillary's emails and them yep. getting revealed then. and um, Asked for more of them to be revealed. Asked for more. Which means that he was automatically complicit in the hack in terms uh-huh. of the way the media portrayed yes. it in public. Yep. I remember, was- I remember saying online that Donald Trump is basically guilty of treason at that point because I thought the mainstream media was telling me the right things about Donald Trump. This was before yeah. I was awake to any real measure. And I just took that. I was like, how can this man be asking for the Russians to release his political opponents' emails? Little did I know how the rest of the future would develop. But yeah, go yeah, on. Yeah, well, it, at that time, I was um, I wasn't on the Trump train. Um, I I voted Libertarian in 2016 because mm-hmm. I didn't trust the Republicans after past experiences, and so um, I remember him saying that and laughing. And because uh, I was like, well, yeah, screw Hillary. But I also didn't exactly like Trump at that time. Right. So um, I, it was entertainment to me at that time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they that's how things developed. And that's how the spot that's the origin of the spying. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, they had to create some more. This, remember, this is a hoax. Yeah. So these people had to keep the hoax going. And their idea this whole time was that Hillary was never going to lose. We just need to make sure we damage Trump enough. She's going to win and we damage all the people around Trump because they're threatening our power structure. All of these people like General Flynn and everybody else are our enemies. They're enemies of the deep state. And we need to make sure that we damage them as much as possible. And then after Hillary wins, we won't have to worry about the fact we made up a hoax because we'll be the ones in charge. Permanent power forever. 
yes. and everything gets covered up. There's nobody there to check. No one will be held accountable. And yes. they could pursue Trump and his supporters and the people around him forever. Yes. And so they started coming up with other um, pieces of of hoax at fake evidence to try and justify the continued spying on the Trump campaign. Um, and those included the Alphagate scandal and the Steele dossier, which they said they which is totally bunk mm-hmm. and was known to be bunk. Um, that's where the names Christopher Steele come in. Um, and that's where English or the UK's intelligence uh, starts getting involved. And Australia with Stephen Halper gets involved. And they're creating these falsehoods about Trump and these false allegations, which we now know are false. And the, the DOJ and FBI knew were false pretty quickly back then. But a lot of people wanted to get Trump. Yep. And they coordinated these hoaxes with media. We know from the Sussman trial and from other things that there were emails going back and forth between first the DNC or the Hillary campaign and Fusion GPS. And then Fusion GPS would be contacting media outlets like New York Times, The Atlantic, uh, and others, and having them helping them, literally helping them draft stories to further these falsehoods and further these allegations. Now, um, Fusion GPS is, uh, is it Peter Fritch and Glenn Simpson? And correct. they are basically an opposition research firm that was hired by Clinton campaign attorney Mark Elias to yes. gather opposition research on Donald Trump. And they hired former British intelligence agent Christopher Steele to compose the dossier. And yes. the dossier you're referring to, that is the claims of Donald Trump paying Russian hookers to pee on him in the bed Obama slept in and a number of other claims that simply don't hold up. And then the Steele dossier, if I remember correctly, was leaked by Fusion GPS to the reporter Michael Isakoff. Do I have yes, that correct? That okay. is correct. That is correct. And they arranged these stories with them. They um with the Alphagate scan. You just explained the Steele dossier perfectly. Um, the with the Alphagate scandal, what they did was they they uh, made up data showing that there was a Trump server, an email server, basically in communication regularly with a server that was in um, Russia for the for the Russian bank Alpha Alpha Bank, and they. They were able to do this because of the involvement of one Rodney Joffe mm-hmm. and his companies who had and had had for over a decade billion dollar a year contracts with the U.S. government to handle DNS lookups and to handle all sorts of data transfers, including data that had to do with the executive office of the president. Yep. This guy had amazing access and he was able to convince researchers at Georgia Tech and others to help him fudge this data to make it look like there was this correspondence going on between Trump Tower and this Russian bank server, and that it was some sort of clandestine communication network. Um, and that hoax was taken to by Michael Sussman to the FBI in September of 2016. And he that's what he just got on trial for, was calling the FBI and talking to James Baker and telling James Baker twice, once in text message and once on the phone, and then again in person, hey, I'm not representing a client. I'm here as a good American. 
to let you know I've discovered or I've come upon this information that Donald Trump, the candidate for president, is in secret communication with the Russians. And here's my stuff. And that's what that's the trial we just saw happen. And it turns out as we and we already knew this from DNI Ratcliffe in a, le, a famous letter he declassified in 2020. But it was reaffirmed in the trial by Clinton campaign manager Robbie Mook that Hillary Clinton herself approved that plan. She approved the Alpha Bank scandal and there was never any substance to it. Um, so they had. All of these different scandals and all these hoaxes they were cooking up to try and damage Trump and trying to stick at him and make and, and damage him as much as possible. And through that, they coordinated every everything with um, various news outlets. Do right. as much. It, that's the hoax that the MSM has put on the American people. Uh, still to this day, there are media outlets who continue this hoax yeah. and still write about it and speak about it as if it hasn't been disproven a hundred times over. Yeah, and so these totally concocted issues, one being the Steele dossier, the other being the Alpha Bank communications. And for anyone who wants to check on this, it's ALFA Bank. Mm -hmm. That's Alpha Bank. So these things have two purposes. They took these claims to the FISA courts and to the intelligence agencies and the law enforcement agencies, and they premised further investigation and further tracking of Donald Trump and his campaign on these wholly made up stories. But as Kyle just said, they also passed these stories to a complicit media who took these stories as quote unquote allegations, but presented them all as if they were true and well-founded. And the law enforcement agencies would base their story on the reporting. The journalists in quotes would base their stories on what the law enforcement agencies have now taken as at least a possibility based on the reporting. So it was a, a feedback loop between the media, the Hillary Clinton campaign and different elements of our government, all confirming separately the stories that they are all part of making up. That is absolutely correct. A, a feedback loop that was able to put a spell over the American people. And it's a it's a circular network of corruption and lies that continues largely to this day. Yeah. Um, and it's um, it's absolutely horrible what they've done. And uh, it, like like Trump keeps saying, it, it was it's the one of the greatest crimes, if not the greatest crime that our 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 country has ever been put through or ever been committed against us, the American people. Um, up until the election in 2020, I would yeah. definitely say it's the greatest crime ever. Um, and the COVID, reason COVID might have a place in that. True. True. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the reason why it's taken so long to get to the bottom of it is because these people activated all of their resources in the, they're all of their corrupt individuals in government, in the media, in the subcontract, some subcontracting companies. Um, they activated everything they could. Foreign intelligence agencies, they activated yeah. to try and prevent Trump from winning. Yeah. And, you know, one of the 
issues that arises when there are so many parts that are working together in their own small separate way is that they are able to give one another plausible deniability. They're only yes. responsible for their one particular role. And until you can convict on that particular role, you can't go out to the next ones. So unraveling something like this takes forever. Now, tell me if I recall this correctly. I believe it was uh, in June or July of 2016, that this information about the Hillary Clinton campaign being responsible for the Steele dossier, for the creation of the Steele dossier, this was brought to President at the time, Barack Hussein Obama, Vice President Joe Biden, uh, James Comey, who was director of the FBI at that point, knew of this, was in the meeting, as was John Brennan. So yes. we have the director of the CIA, the director of the FBI, the president and the vice president all aware that Hillary Clinton's campaign for president was involved in setting up this massive hoax that the media was focused on 24 seven that was intended to uh, delegitimize the person who was running against her, that being Donald Trump. Yes, they were all aware of it. I I want to say it was July 2nd, but that that may not be correct. But it was in July of 2016. Uh, that's when the um, they had that meeting about Flynn and um, Joe Biden came up with the uh, that obscure law. I think um, that that one's isn't that one during the transition. Maybe if maybe I, I'm confusing the it. Logan that might Act, be the, trans, the Logan, the Logan Act, Act might have been a transition. Yeah, I think but that's they, January 5th, 2017. See, even I get confused on this. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they that's when they became aware of it. And there's um there's something else that happens right after that. In July, we know that the executive office is made aware of all this. But then in September, I want to say it's September, uh, right before. Yeah, it's September 29th. Um, no, July. Yeah, it was July 2016. OK, they have that meeting. In the, in the Oval Office, and they're all made aware of it. But then on September 7th, James Comey and Peter Strzok get a criminal referral on Hillary Clinton. They get an investigative referral from the intelligence community telling them Hillary Clinton has come up with a scheme to frame Donald Trump and his campaign as being connected to the Russians and being connected to Russian hackers. And that they're going to attempt to influence U.S. elections. Remember that there was all there's another scandal that comes up in late 2016 where they're saying that Donald Trump is going to have the elections rigged thanks to Russian hackers. It now, really Jay, is in, it really is incredible, crazy. man, just to see the um, like the mirror world that they've created. You know, uh -huh. if Donald Trump had actually done the stuff he was accused of it still wouldn't be as bad as the stuff Hillary Clinton actually did. And the media didn't tell us about any of it. Amen. I mean, we have we have a fake scandal with the dossier and all the allegations in it. We have the fake Russian server that Donald Trump's email server is in contact with, and that's all fake. We have multiple supposed Russian agents within Donald Trump's campaign, and that's all fake. And then we have towards the end of or towards the fall of 2016, a new scandal that Donald Trump is going to use Russian hackers to win the election. Um, but they get Peter Strzok and James Comey get this referral. Um, I said criminal. It's actually an investigative referral. But this tells us that in September, September 7th specifically, 
the FBI HQ was aware that Hillary Clinton had come up with this scheme, that it was a hoax. Now, the question you have to ask yourself is, what do you think they did with that information? Because three weeks later, in walks Michael Sussman with that hoax. So three weeks before, Michael Sussman contacted James Baker and walked in and gave them the Alpha Bank evidence, cooked up evidence, and told his lies to James Baker, for which he was charged with but acquitted thanks to a D.C. jury. James Comey and Strucker informed that this is a thing, that Hillary Clinton's campaign is cooking up a hoax against Donald Trump and is going to try and frame him. And the conservative incorporated narrative, I want to be clear, the conservative incorporated narrative, the mainstream narrative on the right, is that they didn't do anything right. They covered it up. They were complicit from that point on, or if not, if not before, and that the FBI and the DOJ worked to get Trump. That from summer of 2016, the FBI and DOJ were out to get Trump. And that mm-hmm. continued throughout his presidency. That is the most common narrative. And that is the narrative that Trump and his Trump people push um, very much. And still they still do, um, as we've seen with the Mar-a-Lago raid. But there is um there's a there's a little bit more to it than that, I think. There's a little there's something else that is that comes into play there. And it's that James Comey admitted that Donald Trump was never under investigation. Donald Trump can't say, I'm not under investigation. My campaign is. And James Comey said, yeah, Donald Trump was never under investigation. The reason I point this out um, is because the media wants us to believe he was. The media has programmed people to believe that Donald Trump was under investigation by the FBI. But the truth is his campaign was. Now, some would say that's a distinction without a difference, but no, it's not. They were investigating the people within his campaign, not Donald Trump himself. And the media has all and the politicians have always lied and tried to massage the language and try and portray it as Trump being under investigation because the whole goal was to damage Trump. And. This is where Crossfire Hurricane begins. It's not announced. It's like a secret investigation where they're spying on the president. This is where the allegations come. They're spying on him. Um, But it wasn't just the FBI spying on him. We now know that Rodney Joffe, um, who is at some point going to catch an indictment, uh, probably a massive one, he was using his access I talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, He was using that access to spy on Trump. Um, communications and to spy on the executive office of the president while Obama was still president. This is one of the things that was revealed in the Sussman case that hasn't gotten near as much attention as it needs to. It wasn't just Trump. Rodney Joffe was using his access to spy on the Obama executive office of the president. The executive office of the president includes the Oval Office and all the offices underneath it. Mm -hmm. And he was an ally of Clinton. And something that gets missed a lot by people on the right is that, yes, Obama and Clinton, their view, their worldview is far different than ours. We're not on the same page on most things. But guess what? They're not exactly friends. Right. Factions within factions. Yes. And so there's something there where I, in my opinion, my analysis, I think 
that Obama tried to play it in a way that Hillary Clinton would go along with this hoax in or in the hope of having leverage over her when she was president because he would still have allies within the government. And I think he kind of let her walk into a trap. I think that partially explains the HQ of FBI struck and Comey getting that investigative referral that explicitly mm. said that Hillary Clinton had hooked up this hoax. They were aware of it. Yep. And so I think that they originally started out thinking we're going to trap Hillary Clinton for this and have this leverage over her because, again, Donald Trump was never supposed to win. They never thought Hillary Clinton would lose. Sure. So let me pause you for a second, right? Because Obama and Biden, Brennan and Comey were all made aware of this in July. Mm -hmm. At that point, Obama knows and Obama and Brennan are very close, right? That. Yeah. Obama is Brennan's guy, basically. And so Obama's aware of all this. He has no problem with Hillary Clinton taking down Donald Trump because he gets something out of that. There's no there's a, a benefit there for Obama. So he's going to let Hillary Clinton continue down this road. He's not going to stop her because he wants that benefit. But after that benefit is achieved, he still has a secondary benefit, which is his power then over Clinton. Now, let's not get past the election quite yet. I know some of this is drifting that direction, but in the background of all this, in the fall of 2016, we have James Comey come out and talk about the Hillary Clinton emails. There actually is an investigation going on there. There is important stuff in these emails. It's not just uh, scheduling yoga sessions and birthday parties for Chelsea. There's actual stuff in these emails. And they want to avoid and brush all that aside. They don't want that in the public spotlight. And at the same time, we have the emergence of Anthony Weiner's laptop. Yes. And at James Comey, everybody's pricing the clip of him announcing that that investigation into Hillary Clinton's email server was closing. Mm -hmm. That would be in July of 2016. He announced that. And he made the statement, no reasonable prosecutor right. would bring this case. But he did something special that is often overlooked. He informed the Senate, I believe it was the Senate Intelligence Committee. He informed them that if this case was ever reopened, he would let them know in writing. Hmm. That was beyond what he needed to do. That was a step beyond what he needed to do. That was a commitment he didn't need to make. And then 11 days before the election, on October 28th, 2016, what did he do? He announced that that he notified them. He sent them a letter notifying them that the investigation in the Hillary Clinton email server was being reopened. Now, this has been flushed yeah. from our minds. Yeah, I don't think yeah, I haven't thought about that at all. Mind. Yeah, it's it's been it's been done. Um, one, the mainstream media narrative, they're not, they hate it. You, you may recall a lot of people on the right have a difficult time recalling, but I don't because I wasn't absorbing a whole bunch of right wing media at the time. I was just looking at the election and wrestling with whether or not to vote for Trump at the time and finally decided to vote libertarian because I just didn't trust him. But the, the longer 2016 went on, the more I liked him. And the left absolutely hated James Comey. They hated James Comey because he reopened that investigation. They mm -hmm. wanted to they were there were all sorts of memes that were so nasty and violent towards James Comey around that time until 
later on in 2017, they learned about the Crossfire Hurricane investigation and all that. But in fact, a lot of people have forgotten this too. The very day that James Comey reopened that investigation into Hillary Clinton laptop, I mean server, he did it in writing. He notified the Senate Intelligence Committee, and if I remember correctly, it was Trey Gowdy who leaked it. Mm. I want to say it was Trey Gowdy. I could be wrong, but there was there was um one of the Republicans leaked it that they had gotten that letter notifying them that the re- investigation was reopened. It was reopened because of the Wiener laptop, because emails on the Wiener laptop connected to emails and documents they found on Hillary Clinton's server. Um, people got to remember. It was not illegal for Hillary Clinton to have what she had. She had she had access. She had clearances. She didn't have the she didn't. It was illegal for her to transfer it to anybody. It was illegal for her to have this on a private server. It was illegal for her for that server to be wide open for other people to have access to, especially foreign governments. That's what makes it so egregious. The crime is not that Hillary Clinton had access to these these programs or these documents. That's not a crime. The crime is that she allowed others to have access who didn't have clearance. Yeah, but, her email, her business, her her business of the state is supposed to be done through state servers. Her yeah emails are supposed to come out from her government email address, and instead she kept an entirely separate server. Yes, and when James Comey, it was because of the Wiener laptop case which if I recall correctly, Peter Strzok was over. Hmm. They found so many on there that that connected to what Hillary Clinton had. That's what caused James Comey to reopen the Hillary Clinton server investigation. He reopened it exactly one year to the day before Q dropped for the first time. <laughs> well, that's pretty funny. So, And so, we never have gotten notice that it closed. That's very there, interesting. We have never ever gotten any notification that it was closed again and we and should in my assume opinion that it's still open in my opinion it ever closed yeah that makes sense so donald trump wins hillary clinton does not come out to concede that night john podesta comes out instead and says that hillary clinton will not be making a statement the next day hillary clinton concedes and she gives her you know concession speech and talks about breaking glass ceilings and all that. And rather than ensuring a peaceful transfer of power between the Obama administration and the Trump administration, Russiagate enters a new phase and Crossfire Hurricane enters a new phase. And now they are attempting to undermine the Trump transition. Yes, and that is... um that is the phase where we got information on Rodney Joffe and his company spying on the executive office of the president, spying on the transition team. The uh, they're now they now have a problem. They ran along with these hoaxes. They mm-hmm. ran with these hoaxes throughout the campaign. The Hillary Clinton lost, and now they got to cover up. Yep. Or how about we just continue coming up with hoaxes and undermine his entire presidency and mire his presidency and scandal for its entire duration. Because the alternative, yeah, because the alternative is existential. The alternative is Donald Trump has access to all this information and can act on it and put all of these people in prison for what they have done. And what they have done is commit serious crimes against the United States of America in an attempt to seize and hold on to power and it involves 
Hillary Clinton and her campaign and the operatives around her. It involves the FBI and the CIA. It involves Barack Hussein Obama. It involves Joe Biden. That is the entirety of the Democrat power structure involved with full knowledge of all that was happening. The media is complicit. The tech organizations are complicit. Everyone went along with this. And so in this cover-up operation, they begin to try to figure out ways that they can still paint Donald Trump and the people associated with him as somehow being involved in foreign dealings with Russia. And let's go to that January 5th, 2017 meeting between Obama, Biden. Uh, if I am correct, it was, was Peter Strzok in that meeting? Who, who made the handwritten note about uh, Biden bringing up the Logan Act and pursuing Michael Flynn under the Logan Act. The idea was that Michael Flynn, who was going to be Trump's incoming national security advisor, was having conversations about American policy with his Russian counterparts, which is yes. exactly what that role calls for. It's totally yes. normal. People in Joe Biden's fake administration during the transition period in uh late 2020 and early 2021, we're having conversations with their foreign counterparts in the exact same way. Yeah. And the, the context, the context of those meetings that, that they, they tried to get, well, they did successfully get Flynn in trouble for, and all those communications was that you may recall, Obama had just gotten rid of a whole bunch of Russians. He had mm. just, he had just had, he'd had a whole bunch of Russians kicked out of the U S right. And I think it was like 30 something. Mm, he'd like okay. either rescinded their visas or something like that. And it was a there was a, a scandal going on there. And there were still all these allegations about Russia hacking the DNC server, Russia hacking the elections. And then Obama kicks out all these Russians. And the Russians are like, what is going on in America? And they're trying to get some clarity on what this new administration is going to be like. And again, the 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 deep state, however you want to think of them, Obama, Clinton, all of this apparatus that has been involved in this hoax, they used or created a new predicate to throw allegations at members of the Trump campaign, namely General Flynn. So I I I I kind of think that the whole reason Obama canceled those visas or whichever it was he did it that he got those 30 Russians kicked out, he did it so that there would be communications about it. Mm. He did it during the transition. He did it to create more fire, more smoke, more whatever to fuel this hoax because he knew that the incoming transition team would have to talk about it. And Flynn never violated anything, of course, but um, it was just another example of another member of Trump's campaign and incoming administration they had to get at. Um, and they were successful at getting at Flynn. Um, Obama actually told Donald Trump during the transition that the two most dangerous people were Kim Jong-un and Michael Flynn. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So Comey sends two FBI agents to talk to Michael Flynn with the specific intent of catching him in some sort of lie. That is a pretty common FBI tactic so that they can then pursue the subject for lying to the FBI. And if I'm remembering correctly, they said that he had actually lied in a communication to Mike Pence. Yeah, um, it's been a long time since I've looked at that. 
they they got him in a trap where they they already had questioned him or interviewed him mm-hmm. and then they call him up and they're like hey we just need to run by and meet with you a little bit more talk about a few more things and uh michael flynn if i recall correctly said do i need my lawyer present like nah nah we just need to yeah we just need to there's just a few things we left out not, nothing not a big deal and they come in there and start questioning him and he realizes what's going on um there's no way he didn't realize flynn is a one of the most capable operators there ever was and one of the most experienced guys there ever was when it comes to intelligence operations. There's no way Flynn wasn't aware of what was going on. And if you read the, what I remember most from that meeting is Flynn looking out the window and saying, what a beautiful black sky. Do you remember this? I don't know. Flynn said that the, in the notes, Flynn looked out the window and said, what a beautiful black sky, like two or three times. And the agents didn't know what to make of it. And that ties back to a poem about Armageddon coming. Like it's like <laughs> this famous poem that was written like in World War One or something. And it's there's some theory that what he was doing was he was making a remark about how, oh, man, what have you guys just done? Wow. You guys just came in here and messed with me, Michael Flynn. And you think you can run a counterintelligence operation against me? And he's looking out in this. There wasn't a cloud. It was a sunny day. There was no hmm. black sky. And he's he's I at that moment, it was like, OK, I see I see the path. I think he's saying I see the path we're on. There's a storm coming. Yeah, I did There's not know storm. that. So yeah. he he submits his resignation and Donald Trump accepts it. Is that correct? Or did Donald Trump fire him at this point? Either way, uh, Michael Flynn yeah. leaves the administration. And shortly after that, the Mueller investigation is launched. And this is with Republicans in control of the House and the Senate, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and uh, Comey is Comey continues in the FBI um, up until, I want to say, March 2017 or so. But it's like um, there's the story about uh, – Trump interviews Mueller supposedly for the uh, job of FBI and then ends up he gets he gets put as the uh, running a special counsel and um, investigating the origins of the crossfire hurricane investigation. And Trump's Trump's administration goes through this series of investigations all going back into 2016. And the media is able to twist all of these steps, all these investigations as being investigations into the criminality of Trump. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole goal. Um, that's that's what they wanted to do. And that's what that was what the media was always going to do. Now, the result of the Mueller investigation, um, a lot of people got fired. Yeah. A lot of people got fired from within the government, within the FBI and other other agencies over misconduct having to do with the crossfire hurricane investigation. Um, and. After Mueller, we start getting word of Durham. Durham comes into town not too long after the Mueller um, investigation starts, I believe. I think it's March of – I think the first meeting that's had with Durham is March of 2017 maybe. Um, I want to say it's March of 2017 is when Durham kind of appears on the scene for the first time. And what he's – he runs dark for all these years up until uh, about 2019, 2020. Okay, so at, in the background of this whole thing, 
Jeff Sessions, who was Trump's attorney general, recuses himself from all mm-hmm. of this and eventually leaves. Was his uh, deputy AG at the time Rod Rosenstein? Am I remembering yes. that correctly? Yes. And so then at some point in this picture, Donald Trump lets go of James Comey. The media covers James Comey flying on a plane out of California. That was like Donald Trump was taking down the white knight of the other side. How could he? And they covered before they hated. Right. Exactly. Before he was the devil. Yeah. Right. Right. And now he's this hero that Donald Trump is disposing of so that he can continue all his corrupt acts and corrupt dealings without the uh, the sheriff in town. And so. We're going down through the Russia, through the uh, the Mueller investigation. I think it's something like thirty five million dollars of American taxpayer money spent. And in retrospect, the Mueller investigation seems pretty clearly to be a cover up operation to make sure that they know where all the bodies are buried in this elaborate 2016 campaign to undermine Donald Trump and destroy his presidential campaign. At the end of it is a hearing with Robert Mueller where He seems a little old, a little haggard, a little tired. There is no collusion. He releases the report and the left, to some extent, melts down. They thought this was going to be yet another silver bullet that was finally going to take down Donald Trump, that Mueller had him dead to rights. They'd been talking up Mueller this entire time. He was a straight shooter. He was, you know, very even handed. He could be trusted beyond anything else. And he comes out and says, no, no, no. Uh, Why can't I say collusion that there's no collusion and no one accepts it? Yeah, they can't. They can't accept it. Uh, You're right. They built Mueller up and the the conservative incorporated do view Mueller as being a kind of a cover up um, operation, even though he uncovered a whole bunch of wrongdoing Mm -hmm. and a bunch of people were held accountable. And what he found and his investigation was in would end up being transferred to other investigations such as mm-hmm. Durham. Um, but the the media they can't they can't ever admit that there was no collusion because they colluded to create the idea of collusion. Right. They can't they can't let go of that. Um, and this Mueller part of me part of me kind of feels bad for him in that hearing. Because I think I think they're asking him a bunch of questions he can't really answer. I think he. Like I like I said, the the Hillary Clinton camp, the Hillary Clinton investigation of that server, we never got noticed that it closed. And I can't help but think that as a subtext to what he was doing, that investigation still existed. So they're asking him questions, but he can't he can't reveal everything because it can go towards that other investigation. And he only knows what he knows, and he only ha- can answer in as far as it won't interfere with any other investigations that are still ongoing. And we do know for a fact there were other investigations still ongoing because mm-hmm. Huber was still active um, investigating the Clinton Foundation, and John Durham was active. So Mueller can't be as forthcoming as what they want. So what do you do at that point? Well, you kind of mumble and stumble because you can't give the yeah. answers even if you have them. Um. So yeah, that's that's what happens then, and then eventually we get to Attorney General Barr taking over a lot of this stuff and making Durham special counsel. Um, some people believe 
to happen well before it was announced. But it would eventually be announced uh, in November of 2020, or it was it happened in October of 2020, but was announced in uh, November, I believe. 2017, right? He was active then, but he didn't okay. get named as special counsel until uh, 2020. Really? Oh, and is that remember remember the remember the uh, letter that uh, that um, Barr published where he nominates right. um, Durham as special counsel? Right, right. So the Durham investigation began in it's 2017. not a special counsel. Yeah, right. It's, it's and so in, he was named has- special counsel to put an extra roadblock in the way of a potentially incoming Biden administration shutting down the investigation. Am I remembering mm-hmm. that correctly now? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's. Um. Let me see. On May 13th, I have directed this interview. Um. That it started in. Yep. 10-19-2020 is when it was officially written in paper that he was a special counsel. Okay. So, um. But he's been active since then, and Durham Durham scope is to look at all of this. Yeah. To look at Mueller. To look at Crossfire Hurricane. To look at all the way to the DNC hack, he can he can go as far back as he needs to to investigate this conspiracy that our country was put through. And he has, I know there's a lot of people that think that he's going to get shut down anytime. I see no signs of that. Yeah, I have um, the occasional smart friend who believes that, you know, very blackpilled, but believes that the John Durham investigation is a wrap-up operation, a cover-up operation, and it's being allowed to continue to make sure that none of this stuff ever does actually see the light of day. I don't share that opinion at all, but, um, you know, I, I can't firmly deny it. There's no way I can certainly prove that that is false. I just don't believe that it is. Um, what was I going to ask you? I totally, oh, wait, so the Inspector General report from Michael Horowitz goes through and it outlines a bunch of the malfeasance from the FBI in terms of their interactions with the FISA court. That stuff was all wrong. They shouldn't have been doing any of it. And that stuff exists in the IG report. Now, Durham is investigating all of this and has been for years. This is, as you said, a massive conspiracy with countless moving parts. So. What is the uh, what is the status of Durham now? Can you bring us through the Durham investigation in the broad strokes and catch us up to real time? Um, Durham starts in 2017 and he's in the background while all the, the while the Mueller investigations going on, while Horowitz is working, while Huber is investigating Clinton Foundation. Uh, there's a number of investigations going on. And Durham is just there in the background, basically, and he's tied into all of them a little bit. And as they complete their reports and their investigation, he scoops up the key, the key pieces of it that he needs for his. Mm-hmm. We know that John Huber's investigation, big portions of it were eventually given over to Durham. We know uh, that at some point, I can't remember the exact date. Um, a bunch of like I think it was two plane lo- two planes, two aircraft visited Arkansas and took t- boxes and boxes of filings and 
from the Clinton Foundation. I think it was the library. It might have been the foundation. The Clinton Presidential Library? Yes. Um, Durham has just been gathering methodically, doing exactly what he's done his whole career, is running silent and working in the background. And then he ends up, then he finds his targets and he decides how to pick the conspiracy apart. Um, that's what he's very good at. He's very good at busting up mafia, and he has a track record of going after the FBI. He's convicted two FBI agents for corruption before, for bribing people, bribing the mafia for murder. Um, he's not afraid to take on the FBI. Um, Let's talk about that aspect for a second, the uh, the mafia aspect of this, because this is something that I think that people don't really understand. There is a an active criminal organization here. And when I say criminal organization, I mean, there is an organization that is working together to commit these political crimes. Now, it may not be the same sort of crimes that a normal mafia commits, although there's some of that, too. But they are committing political crimes. These are this is an orchestration of political crimes all to benefit the same people. And those people are the people involved in these active conspiracies that are ongoing. Now, there's an interesting interplay that has developed in the last, I don't know, four or five months. I don't remember exactly when Donald Trump filed his RICO case mm -hmm. against Hillary Clinton at all. But the information in that RICO filing is incorporates a lot of the information that has been discovered through the Mueller investigation, through Huber, through uh, IG Horowitz and through Durham. And when Durham makes new filings, the Trump versus Clinton RICO case expands to include that new information. And so we have multiple uh, cases centered around this criminal conspiracy that are developing along the same timelines. And, you know, this is speculation, of course, at this point, but it seems to me like this Mar-a-Lago raid and the information that is or may come out of this as we begin to learn more of it might affect all of these at the same time. Yeah, I believe it will. Um, I'm not exactly sure what all the Mar-a-Lago raid was about. Sure. We now yeah, and we don't have to get deep into that. But yeah, well, we now know there were two cases involved, at least there were there were two cases and they both got search warrants approved by the same judge on the same day. Mm -hmm. One of those cases we know has to do with National Archives, NARA. But the other case, it's not clear to us what it has to do with. Um, I speculated on Patel's show the other day that it has to do with the January 6th investigation. And my basis for that is that we know that investigation exists and we know that Trump and his people have been cooperating with it. Mm -hmm. So perhaps that connects to that. That's that's one investigation we know that it would make sense. There could be a connection there, mm -hmm. but it could have to do with Durham. I've also seen speculation that it has to do with uh, files that Donald Trump had that weren't part of the NARA um, group or boxes of files and that it's related to Durham files and they wanted to try and get these these files before Durham had them. Now, I do understand it, speculating that maybe the raid had something to do with Durham, but whatever Durham needs, he has. Mm -hmm. There's I don't I don't worry about Durham not being able to get files. Durham has whatever he needs. Um, and I and you may remember a couple of weeks ago, there was a bit of a, a fuss made over how 
Trump declassified all the documents having to do with Spygate and Russiagate and Crossfire. He declassed all of them. They were in these binders or whatever. And uh, I think they said Mark Meadows or Ratcliffe, one or the other. He turned them back into DOJ before Trump left. Meadows. Yeah, yeah, Meadows. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And people were all in a, in a, like on the right anyway, were in a hizzy about that. How could you give them back to DOJ? Well, how do you expect Durham to get them? <laughs> like, like, well, he once they're declassified, once they're declassified, back, so they if they, right, right, right. But once they're classified, if they had been made public at that time, certainly Durham would have had the opportunity. I guess Meadows sent them back for further redactions with the expectation that they were just going to put them out and release them. Now, that all That's happened on January. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That happened on That's January 19th, 2021. So there's, you know, obviously no way that they could have seen that through to the end if they wanted to ensure that those documents would re reach the public, which tells you a little bit potentially about Donald Trump's intent on the timing involved with that situation. Yeah, and it's. He gave he gave them over, and that's the that's the story, and I don't necessarily doubt that story that that it has truth to it, but declassification of documents doesn't mean they get made public right there. Right, right. Um, it means they're available for that, but most importantly, it means that in this instance, it means that Durham gets them, and Durham can use them in his cases and in his investigation, and he doesn't have to go through a big process to try and get them declassified so mm -hmm. that he has access to them. And these documents are going to be very important. Like we've recently had in this uh, the current case that Durham is working on against Dan Ch Igor Danchenko, which was one of the sources for the Steele dossier. He was the primary uh, subsource, Christopher Steele's yes. primary subsource. Yep. Yes. There's a known Russian agent and yes, a known yeah. Russian agent to our FBI and our intelligence from back in like 2008 or 2009. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's tens of thousands of documents in that case. And I want to say it's like five to six thousand of them were previously classified. Wow. And there's others that are still classified. And um, Durham, uh, the recent filing in the past two weeks is Danchenko wants to use classified documents in his defense. And there's a process going on right now, a lawfare process where they're they're going back and forth, going back and forth, trying to figure out which ones he can use and how to properly redact them and all that kind of stuff. But if if all those documents that that meadows had and gave back had just been published online mm -hmm. it would have think about how that would have undermined durham's investigation sure it could have alerted so many people to what durham had mm -hmm. what durham had access to um another thing i want to point out real quick about horowitz horowitz is still the ig mm -hmm. and horowitz and durham are still working together now there was a bit of a uh some friction back in january where it was discovered that there were more phones of James Baker's than what Durham had been given. And there was some interchange between Horowitz and Durham where it looked like Durham was kind of mad at Horowitz. Um, I didn't read it that way. What I read it was the reason Durham didn't have them and Horowitz wasn't aware is that they had been misfiled some way. They had the, the way they had been filed in their in storage wasn't correct. And I can't help but wonder if that was some somebody tried to hide them in the warehouse or whatever to prevent them from being easily found. And we're going to find out about some, some corruption within the IG. I don't think it's necessarily Horowitz because Horowitz went to Durham to say, yo, we have a problem. You need to know about this stuff. Here it is. Um, so the, I, 
in other words, what I'm saying is the cover up continues to try and cover yeah. up this massive this massive conspiracy. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of people that talk about the uh, the statute of limitations on some of the stuff with this, how it's been too long, Durham's taken too long to do this, it's been five years, statute of limitations, this and that. There's no statute of limitations on some crimes that these people are involved in, number one. Number two, the clock on a conspiracy, on the statute of limitations, resets every time an act is done in furtherance of that conspiracy. Right. These people continue to try and cover it up. They continue to lie. They continue to try and further this conspiracy. And every time they do, they reset that statute of limitations. So Durham's not worried about that. Right. And didn't he time the... Uh, indictment of Michael Sussman based on that five-year clock running out. Basically, that yeah. five-year clock on Sussman was going to run out. So he filed his indictment right before that. And that essentially starts a brand new clock on everyone involved with the conspiracy that Michael Sussman was part of enacting. Yes, that's absolutely correct. And I know that people are disappointed that Sussman wasn't convicted. Mm-hmm. And I was too, but um, I'm not disappointed with how that case went and what it revealed. I mean, we right. got we got we got Hillary Clinton's campaign manager to admit she approved the plan to frame yeah. Trump. Yep. And we got and we had all of these entities, the Hillary Clinton campaign, Fusion GPS, Perkins Coie, Mark Elias, all of them had to join that case and file. And Durham got access to their emails and to their communications between them. He, the most important thing about that case is that he broke attorney-client privilege because he proved in a court of law that these people were not using attorneys for um, advice on the law. They were using attorneys to obscure the conspiracy that they were engaged in. Right. They put another they put a buffer zone between themselves and Fusion GPS. So the Hillary Clinton campaign and the DNC didn't hire Fusion GPS directly. Right. They were um, in retainer with uh, Perkins Coie, which is Mark Elias's law firm, former law firm. And Perkins Coie hired Fusion GPS that then hired Christopher Steele. Christopher Steele hired Igor Danchenko. And that's how the Steele dossier came together. But you can see there being now uh, a, a three-step or four-step barrier between Hillary Clinton's campaign and Igor Danchenko, even though they were all operating the same conspiracy to achieve the same goals. Yeah, that's this is how the Clinton crime family, crime syndicate has operated for decades. You get yes. lawyers in between you and the assets you're using to commit crimes, and then you claim attorney-client privilege, and it prevents courts from being and, and prosecutors from being able to see exactly how this mafia, this crime syndicate, is operating. It's and, it's an old trick, and it's a very effective one, and that's the best thing to come out of the assessment case is Durham effectively busted it down. It's especially effective when you have – uh, when you're basically playing with a home field advantage all the time, you have friendly judges in friendly jurisdictions. You have some level of control over the people in the federal bureaucracy that can serve as obstacles and roadblocks to 
uh, getting a proper investigation finished. They basically have every single advantage and they set it up this way for a reason. As you said, they've been running things like this for decades and you can, when you have all these natural advantages, it is no different in any way than when, uh, a crime family, a mafia has judges or politicians or district attorneys in their pocket. This is what we have in the deep state, the administrative state, the corruption in the federal government is pervasive throughout the entire thing, most of it, right? And we're talking about they're, they're able to capture all of these different agencies, and we always have to fall back on this idea that there must be good people in these agencies. We don't want to besmirch all of them, and that's just fine. But if there are good people in all these agencies, why aren't they standing up? Why aren't they whistleblowing? And the truth is, by the way, saying that, that there might be people doing that that we just don't know about yet because the investigation is being properly run and it is being kept under wraps. And some of those people may well have flipped and remained in their positions because they are still giving information over to, for instance, the special counsel, John Durham. Yeah, you're exactly right. And we recently learned, we heard in that hearing like last week, uh, when Christopher Ray, the FBI director, who, by the way, is another holdover from Trump's administration, mm-hmm. was asked about the Durham investigation. He said, yes, we're still we're cooperating with Durham's investigation. And have you uh, gotten up to speed? There was something that I just got a piece of last week that the FBI agents involved in the Mar-a-Lago raid were potentially targets of the Durham investigation or somehow related Yes, I've seen that news story going around. I haven't dug into it. I'm planning to to uh, go through that news, all the Mar-a-Lago news on my Friday show. Um, so I, I need to catch up on that specific point. I don't know their names. Do you know their names off the top of your head? Not off the top of my head. I could find okay. them in a few seconds on Telegram. But um, but yeah, let's let's wait on that until you get your background. You can put that out on your show, and people can direct themselves that way. So. What do you see being the future of the Durham investigation? What what should we anticipate in the next few months? We have the Igor Danchenko trial in October. Okay, so this um this coming fall, it starts October 11th, if I believe, if I can remember correctly, is when the trial is supposed to start for Danchenko. Between now and October 11th, we're going to have an ever increasing pace of filings in that case. Mm-hmm. And just like in the Sussman case, as we get closer and closer to the trial, we got all these filings, which told us more and more and more. And um, Durham has done a, a very good job of storytelling and informing us of exactly how this crime worked and this conspiracy worked. He doesn't do press conferences. He doesn't do leaks, but what he does do our storytelling indictments and filings that give us insight in a way that the media would never print. He's Let's very talk about good that for a second. That. So yeah, they called it a got, speaking indictment, right? His, huh? And this was his indictment of Sussman, which the media told us should have been just a couple of pages long. And instead it was something like 29 pages. Yes. And he just laid the whole thing out for anyone who wants to look at it. This is a legal filing from special counsel John Durham on behalf of the United States of America. And you should and can read that filing. And 
then you can see the evidence that he uses in that filing. All of this stuff is publicly available. You can look at it on your own. Absolutely. And the the rest of the filings that happened in that case continued the story and continued to illuminate pieces of it. Um, the same thing happened with the Igor Danchenko um, indictment. It introduced us to people we were not aware of. Um, like I said, you, it, it, as, as being on the outside of all this, we have to use these filings to try and figure out what happened and what this crime syndicate did and what they did tried to do to Trump. And one of the names that was, nobody was aware of was uh, Chuck Dolan, who was a mm. longtime Clinton donor and was active in Russia and is an integral part of the Danchenko indictment. Nobody, he was on nobody's radar right. until Durham dropped that indictment. And in the um, Sussman indictment, nobody was aware of Rodney Joffe. Nobody was talking about him and his company's new star and packet forensics and all the other ones. And then that indictment drops and his name's not in it, but there's enough clues that Internet sleuths were able to deduce who he was. And then we figured out he had contracts with the federal government for DNS lookups and handling all sorts of things for the FBI and DOJ. And like, where did this guy come from and how did he get all this access? What, what corruption is this? And he was tech executive number one, right? Yes. Okay. Go ahead. Keep going. Yes. Um, and Durham is that Durham has to do that. And that's not just my opinion. Cash Patel said it has said it many times that Durham is using his filings to inform the American public of what these people have done. And um going he's going around all the media and going around all the lies by doing that. And getting back to what'll happen this October. We're going to get this increasing pace of filings in that in in that case that are going to tell us the story more and more and more and reveal more players, more crimes probably, or at least allude to more crimes. And if you're the Democrats, you got those midterms coming up, and right before the midterms, there's going to be this really high-profile case that involves a Russian spy who the Hillary Clinton campaign and bad actors in our government used to try and frame our our president for a hoax and the media lied about it and the democrats lied about it for years it's not going to do them any good going into the midterms and it's going to remind the american people that they were lied to all these years they were deceived by this by the steel dossier and everything else and it's going to help turn out big time it's going to it's going to activate people um, it's interesting because there are a couple October surprises that we can already see on the horizon right now, and they're going to be devastating. Marco Polo at some point, I believe, I don't have this on information from them, but I believe that we will see that Marco Polo report on the Hunter Biden laptop at some time before the midterms. And, you know, their timeline has gotten pushed back a few times because they're trying to make sure that every single page of that is nailed down perfectly and presented perfectly. And I think that that's the right way to do it. Same thing with John Durham. And, you know, what I tell people is all of this stuff is incredibly frustrating. It really is very, very frustrating to know that crimes against the country have been committed and that they have not been resolved yet. But you have to remember some of this is on us. You know, we weren't paying attention to this stuff throughout these past five years and truthfully much, much longer. And when the citizens of the country aren't paying attention to this stuff, the media can tell us whatever they want and the society is going to believe it. And that makes 
it possible for these things to continue and grow so much larger so that they get to at some point the size where we can't actually take them down. And I believe, I think as you do, that we stopped just short of that point and that we have actually gotten to this stuff in time where we actually can hold these people accountable and stop it. Absolutely. I, I'm of the opinion that drain the swamp is real. Yeah, me too. And, and that lock her up is real, Mm -hmm. but it's a very slow process and the media. I'm sorry, folks, your favorite news source, if they're corporate, they're never going to tell you about it. Yeah. You have to go and look it up yourself. You got to go and look for what indictments are being posted, what convictions, what plea deals are being made, what settlements are being made. If you go and look for it, you'll find it. Yeah. You'll you'll find it. But it doesn't get any fanfare. It doesn't get any attention because these are this is the slow dismantling of a of a syndicate that has infected so much of our society. The the media doesn't want to tell you about it because they've been benefiting from it this whole time. Um, most people don't know that one of Hillary Clinton's biggest donors ever, um, his Ch- Chowdhury, Chudry, Chowdhury, something like Chowdhury. that. Yeah. Chowdhury, one of the biggest multi-billionaires um, that he was a major funder of the mm-hmm. Clinton Foundation, major crony. He took a massive plea deal and has flipped and has been cooperating with the DOJ for years now. And people associated with him have been coming up with indictments and getting convictions. Now, the media is never going to tell you about that. They don't want you to know about that. But that's an example of how Drain the Swamp is real. Mm-hmm. You, can't, you can't dismantle this, this crime syndicate by just going for the head of it and getting Hillary Clinton in one indictment and maybe a couple others and then saying, that's it, we did it. You're just gonna you're just gonna have new leadership rise up in the crime syndicate in the deep state. You have you have to do what John Durham is doing and from the bottom up pick off players, get access to more and more information about who's involved and who did what. You flip lower people um, to get them to, to inform on people above them, and you very methodically go through a process of dismantling it, just like John Durham did with the mafia in uh, in Massachusetts and Connecticut. And when it comes to corrupt people in the FBI, you have to find their crimes and get other people in the FBI to flip on them, mm-hmm. which is what John Durham did when he busted some FBI agents for buying off people in the mafia. Um, yeah. So his name is Gilbert Chaguri. Just wanted That's to it. make sure that got That's that right. C H A G O U R Y. You know the reason. I'm that impressed. I, you know, I'm impressed. You know that name. <laughs> that you know about that. I'm impressed, man. <laughs> well, I'm not I had to I look up wrong, the spelling. But <laughs> um, you know this this story in particular, I believe, is seminal to everything that's going on because. You know, there are still the people out there that think Donald Trump is stupid. Donald Trump is incompetent. Donald Trump does not know what he's doing. This story, beyond all others, proves that that is not a rational position to ever take. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump spent his entire time in office, including the time before he took office, battling the most powerful people in the American government with the help of the most powerful people in the world who were 
unabashedly committing crimes with no remorse and the expectation of no accountability whatsoever. And Donald Trump stood in there. He took it like a man. He kept operating for the benefit of the country and he had an incredibly successful presidency with all of this running in the background and the media using all of it to attempt to take him down. And you just think about the other takedown attempts. You know, there was Michael Avenatti and Stormy Daniels. Michael Avenatti's in prison and Stormy Daniels owes Trump half a million dollars. That didn't work at all. The Mueller investigation didn't work at all. The Ukraine impeachment was to cover up something Joe Biden did. And that didn't work at all. So then immediately on the heels of that, they go into COVID. COVID goes right into the stolen election. And the stolen election goes right into January 6th. And then Trump walks away from office, or did he? And And the situation has developed ever since. But there has been a get Trump effort that has gone on for more than seven years now. They have slandered him in every way imaginable, and they have set the entirety of the state against him. And still in the face of all that, he was able to navigate through that. He's stupid. He's incompetent. That makes absolutely no sense to me. No, it makes I, I, I laugh at people in this. I laugh at this narrative and mock it. That Trump, after all these years of success in business, suddenly went to D.C. and and he suddenly lost all of his ability to hire people. He somehow got to D.C. and no no longer knew how to hire people or give people jobs to do. He no longer knew how to manage an office. I don't believe believe any of that for one second whatsoever. I think Trump hired the exact people he wanted to hire, and he used them to do the jobs that he wanted them to do. And when they finished that job— he got rid of them, whether he got rid of them because, you know, like through firing or they resigned or they moved on. It was friendly or whatever. I still believe he chose that person to serve for the in that role for that time. And when they were done, they were done. The The Trump presidency was amazing. It, it was absolutely amazing. And the accomplishments have have given us so many benefits even now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as, as, as as crappy as the time period is right now with what's going on with the Biden administration and everything, there's so many wins that Trump that Trump got and so many things he did for us that have set us up for future success across not just America, across the world. I will yeah. never stop praising yeah. the Abraham Accords. The Abraham Accords are one of the greatest steps towards world peace we have ever seen. And one of the best things about them is the United States is not a signee to them. Yeah. We can't screw them up. We yeah. made sure they happened. We facilitated that they happened. And now we have peace breaking out between nations who have hated each other for millennia or centuries, whatever, depending on how long they've existed. But we have we have we have flights and commerce between Israel and Saudi Arabia and UAE right now. And we, we even have cooperation between the intelligence agencies of Saudi Arabia and the UAE. Um, the United States is getting out of there and we're no longer playing world cop. The yeah. Biden administration would love for us to. They wanted us to play World Cup in Ukraine. Notice they haven't been able to make that happen. Yeah. Failing all over the place. And, you know, he also set up a lot of fortifications in this country, knowing that this time was coming and that the global communists intended to do what they're doing. It could have been ultimately so much worse. However bad it is now, it could have been so much worse if he didn't spend four years putting a halt on all of their plans in whatever ways 
he was able. So, Kyle, I think we should continue this discussion because there are more conversations that you and I intend to have. So let's do a part two to this real soon. But we're approaching an hour and a half. So I think that that's probably good for this one. And we'll uh, we'll come on back to it real soon. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to uh, I'd like to come back and talk about a number of things, especially the Trump family history. Yeah, um, I want to do that, too. That, and I want to talk about kayfabe. All right. I'm, we still have I'm to do that to one. Do it, yeah, yeah, we're gonna have yeah, to. I'm down to do. We're gonna have to <laughs> to settle this out once and for all. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Absolutely, brother. Thanks for coming on. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. 
On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab, and I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at imyourmoderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!